technically I am too. Maybe not as officially as you, but because they give me free drinks at least. But if you're actually on the crew, maybe they won't even say you're guarding the place. I'm camping here too, anyhow. Okay, well that's cool. And I've even got like a pen and paper stashed here and other resources. So. If they would turn on the heat, okay, let's see. Uh, you can sit in those chairs, but I figured this, if, if a chair is too comfortable, it'll put you to sleep probably. Oh, I mean, I don't know, you know your energy best. I mean, for me, I'm at my high energy point of the day. You should also feel free to interrupt me because I tend to get very loquacious under the influence of weed and I can go on a monologue and miss letting people get in a word in edgewise and that kind of thing. Thank you. <coughs> we rolling? Yeah. All right. So earlier you, uh, you'd mentioned Ken... Ken Wilbur and some other folks the alleged ability to fall asleep while maintaining waking awareness. Right, right. I've been able to do that on a few occasions. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, has been by far the most remarkable type of lucidity I've wow. experienced. Um, yeah. Was there a certain technique that led to that, or is it just something that through everything that you've been doing it's began to happen? So, the latter of the two. Okay. Yeah. I like that because I like things that are, are like a spontaneous, organic outgrowth rather than a labored. Yeah. I never had to force it. Okay. Um, but I haven't tried to force it either. Okay. Um, it's, it's been, um, it's usually during naps. It's more likely to happen during okay. naps, I've noticed. Right. Um, and I can feel the. Yep transition taking place which feels almost like a uh, floating or mm -hmm. falling okay um, although depending on one's definition uh, this may uh, cross the, the boundaries of the out-of-body experience right so hmm. I'm, I, I don't quite have uh, a good measurement of which is which nonetheless I am maintaining mm -hmm. waking awareness uh, during some sort of transition right regardless right and uh, they do seem to have some similarities it starts with the floating or falling sensation okay and then it's followed by sound mm -hmm. and the sound is some sort of it could be a song it could be conversations um, usually it's conversations actually and it feels uh -huh. like Imagine if you were to be walking down a city street, busy city street, and you're, okay. and you're hearing people and you're walking by, uh, the conversations are, are passing you by. Right. And sometimes I'm able to pick up some of those words, too. Mm. One time, uh, they were talking about peanuts. And, okay. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I was passing through some sort of space, and it's either music or people chattering. And once I pass through that space, sound then 
visuals materialize. Ooh, so it's always again body sensation, right. followed by sound, followed hmm. by visual. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. And that's been the, it's mm-hmm. been that same formula every time that this process takes place and transitions. Wow, it's tempting me to want to <coughs> make statements about those stages, even though I realize that that um, that could be totally faulty. That they're just like speculations. Like with the first okay. stage. It, seem, it does seem like out-of-body experience that you're experiencing the transition from your physical body to your dream body. And so the first thing you would feel is a kind of vertigo because the dream body isn't subject to gravity. So you feel this kind of like floating sensation as you are, there's no longer a gravity orientation. And then the second stage is really interesting because one thing it suggests, because I think with naps, I think it's sort of like a compressed version of the sleep cycle. Mm-hmm. So because things are, are, are coming quicker and you already probably have more, or already have been awake for a few hours, mm-hmm. and probably the chemistry of your brain is probably different too. From so there's like more wakefulness, juice in you or right. something. <laughs> and so, um, and then I think maybe you're going through a quick cognitive sleep state. Like now they have this other sleep state. That, that's been recognized that's not REM but where you're like thinking in your head and uh, is there a name for it? the cognitive sleep state and so it, it sounds like a brief cognitive sleep state but maybe instead of it being your thoughts may, maybe you're telepathically picking up like telepathic bandwidths of like the psychic noise that's out there it, it definitely feels like there's a tuning the dial like tuning through a radio dial exactly. and like you know you get catching pieces of and these are all these other stations that are right like a, uh, something that would evoke that state for me I think um, is have you ever seen the Cronenberg film Scanners classic film from the 80s no I've not uh, kind of surreal it's sort of like the ultimate like if it, a, a genius making a grade B science fiction movie but really bringing out all these amazing archetypes about mutants and it, what it starts with is there are these mutants called scanners whose mothers have been given an experimental drug when they were pregnant mm-hmm. and it's made them more telepathic amongst other differences but most of them are living like total dysfunctional lives and the guy we see who's you know, the protagonist is like a homeless guy and he's walking around in a mall like looking for food that people have left on their tables and stuff and and then as we like enter his point of view we see why he's so dysfunctional is that like he's constantly overhearing people's thoughts mm-hmm. and it's and, and often it's like people looking at him and that man looks disgusting they shouldn't blah 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 and he's like catching fragments like scanning through a radio dial mm-hmm. or a police scanner and hearing like all these fragments of people and it, it completely disrupts his being able to have a functional consciousness you mentioned this book in or i'm sorry this film in crossing the event horizon um, no, I didn't mention scanners. No. no. Okay. Okay. I don't think I did. I don't know. It just seems like I've, I've it's heard possible, someone speak about it briefly. But it's it's got a few of the singularity archetype elements. Okay. It would be a great one to evoke that state. I think. I'll look into it. Thank you. Another thing that comes to mind is each time these um, sleep, or I guess awake to sleep, lucid transitions take place. Uh, I'm not really quite sure what what to call it thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I don't have like a, a phrase to, to call it. I don't know if anybody else has yeah, that, described that's a, it. That, um, yeah, in, in like falling a single asleep word. lucidity or something. Yeah, I, I, 
somebody should invent a word for that. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, uh, once the, the visuals take hold, um, I, I never see my my room or my body or anything. Okay. I should point that out because that's very different. We won't, you probably won't even see your faces except as a silhouette, but this will be in case we make a podcast out of it or something. Capture the scene. But yeah, I mean, that, that's such a privileged state to be in that liminal place, that liminal zone. And um, liminality is a very big thing for me because I think that that mm. is a real, a really magical zone. And I mean, everything you're doing for me is about liminality. I mean, that's what lucid dreaming is because you're in a between and betwixt state. And it's maybe the ultimate between and betwixt state, except maybe for a near-death experience when you're between life and death. Mm. Um, to be between waking consciousness and dreaming, and to have them together, that's an incredible boundary land mm. yeah. where, where many things are possible. Absolutely. What, what comes to mind again, um, maybe, maybe I mentioned it yesterday, is the multi-location mm. sensation of here is the dream space that I'm experiencing. Here is my sleeping body mm. and all the, the sensations associated with that. Right. And in some cases, here is dream layer B, which is entirely right. separate from dream layer A. Right. And there's these, what I feel like, three separate realities. Mm. that are overlaid but are experienced right. with great detail and each can be described individually they're not so overwhelmingly complex but as it mm. is as if I experience them individually but they're happening simultaneously it seems and that's that's a very that's probably one of the more um, uh, strange <laughs> phenomena sure. that I've experienced out of my my years of doing the dream work yeah I mean in that <laughs> That sounds like an amazing state. I mean, I wonder if that would be ego dissolving because usually the ego is based in identifying with like one situation, and and now you're aware of yourself as um, more the self than the ego, and, and the self can be happening having like we talked about that jellyfish thing. Was I talking? Yes, to you? you did mention yeah, it. Um, and you know the jellyfish incarnation idea of these the self having tentacles that are like simultaneous lifetimes that are going on mm -hmm. so uh, you're actually getting to experience that so you're, you're mm -hmm. getting closer to the central self rather than the, the ego which would be um, because the ego would be like related very intensely to your situational awareness within, uh, awareness within one timeline only mm -hmm. like not even the dream time but just the waking life and the bills and the you know he said, she said, of that particular zone. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's pretty fascinating to, um, and, and you could probably, I guess you probably read in my book, there was this um, woman who tells me about a, a dream about demon ride, about a virtual reality drug um, that a friend of hers offers, and there are different variations of it. And in one of the variations, you would have you could take a because um, each of these drugs would contain an actual experience you could have take two at once and have overlapping experiences and the one that she had in the dream was of being in an ancient library 
with like parchment scrolls and stuff and skydiving. So it's almost as if, you know, I, I can see her like hanging in the library, but like the air is rushing past her like she's skydiving. Like, like both are happening at once and she's experiencing both of them. Mm. And that just seems um, amazing. I mean, it seems like distracting and distasteful from like a movie point of view. Right. But on the other hand, I see it as awakening you to the, the magic because you're seeing that it's a violation of like the mono matrix where usually you're overwhelmed by one trance or another or by one matrix or another. Mm. But, but as soon as you put two together, then like your loyalty or identification with either one of them is greatly lessened. Mm. You're in a liminal state where it's like I'm between matrices right now. Right. Who am I really? Mm -hmm. Why not a third or a fourth if I don't like these two? Well, this, this brings to mind lucid situations and I, I share this in my, my workshops of suggesting what's possible and that let's say if somebody enjoys uh, playing soccer mm -hmm. um, you know I, su I suggest to folks while in a lucid space try doing something not necessarily fantastic but something you enjoy and see what mm -hmm. happens so if you enjoy doing yoga try doing yoga if you like playing soccer try that if you enjoy singing try singing and um, but there's still you know, boundary dissolving physics mm -hmm. that are possible in that state. And so, you know, one may meditate, do yoga, play soccer, or sing with entirely new capacities. So mm. if somebody is playing soccer, why not play the entire team? Why why couldn't you not be the entire team or even right. two teams playing one another and you are of that situation and you're aware of all of the players simultaneously and you are just sort of mega organism right and, and actually I mean a, another way to get to that breaking the uh, single identification mode mm -hmm. that can work be very available for some people like it works for me is you create an autoerotic fantasy and flip back and forth between the two people because oh, conventionally you're identified with one person who's with the hottie of their type or whatever but mm -hmm. what 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 if you can identify with one and then with what the other is feeling because you're generating both of them mm -hmm. I may, I, that may have happened maybe has happened before for me I, i'd have to review the journals um but and, I, and, and that's because that's a fantasy situation where there's a lot of chi um it, it's very electrified there's a lot of energy flowing into it mm. um so it's a great one to practice that interesting huh. um Another thing, uh, earlier we were talking about multi-location and multiple cells and experiencing life simultaneously. Um, another, uh, one of my most, I guess, uh, staggering dreams to date was where I experienced uh, the most extreme time dilation yet, where Ooh. it felt like, um, at first it was a the past, present, future dream. So it started out in the past, and then there were things that happened in the present that triggered the future, and that future spanned multiple lifetimes. Ooh. And so I experienced multiple lifetimes in this dream, and okay. past, present, and future. And when I came to waking consciousness, I was very, uh, very much in question of my waking life because it felt like I had just been somewhere else for much longer than okay. 
the years that I've and been And I'm going to get distracted for a second, um, but uh, the first part of that, like when, uh, were these parallel existences? <laughs> like, in other words, there, there were uh, similar situations, but where some choice was different, right? or, or are they just like completely different? They were more linear and sequential. Okay. Mm -hmm. But like you would shift from one to the other, but then you wake up rem remembering the whole sequence of different ones. Yes. Mm -hmm. And like when you switch from one to another, are you like in a different place, or like what what has changed? What are the parameters that have changed? Are you still there, but the situation has changed, or are you now you know a different identity? Mm. It's complicated because. Um, I'll give you, give you a summary. Uh, basically, um, the two protagonists in the dream, one of which was, which was me sometimes. Sometimes I was seeing myself in third person. Sometimes okay. I was in the body. Um, we stopped time. Um, after um, somehow understanding uh, some leading edge esoteric science in regards to human DNA. Okay. And we were able to stop time and then what I would describe as the time police showed up. Hmm. And they were very upset that we'd stopped time um, because we were able to move outside of time basically. every Everything else and everyone else froze. But we were able to continue and everybody was going super slow motion basically. Right. And these other folks showed up who also had this ability. Mm -hmm. They were almost like the... The guild of time the shifters. The guild of time shifters, the archons of the time matrix showed wow. up and said... Right, the immune yeah. system of it. Yeah, we, uh, we don't, you do not have the, you know, the, right the rights to do this. You know, mm -hmm. we don't approve of your uh, abilities. And so they decided to punish us hmm. by putting us through multiple lifetimes of some sort of discomfort. Mm. And one of those lifetimes was uh, being in a toy store as a toy. Wow. Okay. Another one was being in a um, hospital full of deformed and mutant humans. And we were patients there wow. for an entire lifetime. Another one was a uh, post-apocalyptic revolutionary was very violent and then the final space was entirely white and it seemed that we had served our time so to speak and in this white space we could literally draw whatever we wanted to come into existence and so we were creating our own re reality through our drawing mm -hmm. and I looked in that space and I saw some of I recognized what looked like some of my own sketch pads from my waking life and I now saw that those sketch pads told this entire multi-lifetime dream story and that they had uh, prophetically foretold it. And I didn't even realize that I was channeling this multi-lifetime dream. Okay, so and, and who, who were the ones that had channeled that, that dream? Or who were the prophets of that? The... You mean the time police or the uh, no, or no, the, um, the prompt? Well, you said that like you realized when you were in that white space that like you that there had been this whole sequence had had been like preordained or preordained in my own sketchbooks that I had done myself. Okay, right. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so I had 
somehow already created this entire life and realities, and now I was in this blank canvas space where I could right. create reality. Right. And the two protagonists at the end, we have this realization, and we look at each other and say, this is it. The other person says, questioningly, this is it? And then, yes, this is it. And then, hmm. bam, wake up. And that was wow. the one. And so Well, and just before you offered that last piece about finding it in your own sketchbooks, what I was thinking or noticing was uh, that the, the time police were, were tricksters. They were appearing to be forbidding something and holding you back, but that obviously, like, the sequence of lifetimes they gave you as a punishment that sounded like a series of bardos, like the toy store yeah. thing and the... Uh, <coughs> being in a deformed mutant hospital and so forth, it all seems like punishments, like, like how in the old Soviet Union, political dissidents were sent to like horrible psychiatric yeah, hospitals as punishments. Yeah. Um, but, that, but the fact that these bardos, because bardos ultimately help people toward enlightenment, mm. um, at least my, that's my understanding of how Buddhists see them, or maybe they don't see them that benevolently, I don't know, but... Um, but they could, in a given case, like in the movie Jacob's Ladder, be um, these nightmare worlds that then wake you up uh, to, especially because they're annoying. So if, if the whole reality is annoying and flat, like being a toy in a toy store, then your realization that you're a round peg put in a way too sm small square hole is that much more profound because the square hole is so much smaller than the one that we have where we are right now because we can still we're here in the waking life right now but we're having this great talk and there's mm -hmm. no like podcast police making us stop <laughs> we're getting too conscious or something at least not so far but um <clears throat> so they they they're serving a developmental purpose and then the developmental purpose uh exceeds fantastically well because you you wake up to that place where you realize you're the one choosing it's like with the superimposition of the two matrices on each other it's like making you aware of you are the one doing it it's like there's ads for direct tv that that say uh, not that i want to repeat an ad slogan but like don't watch tv direct tv mm. but of course if you were watching direct tv you'd still just be watching tv but in this case we may it's like direct tv where you're the director and so um, you, that's what the white space is. And now you're realizing instead of somebody else holding the remote and changing the channel from one annoying infomercial bardo to another or whatever, now you're realizing, now you've got like that static field on the TV screen mm. and you realize like, I can make my own channel now. Right, absolutely. It, um, it brings to mind an, another dream. And this, this was one where I went lucid and decided to let go mm -hmm. and follow the narrative. And um, it was another incursion with what I would describe as the, the trickster dream time police, which, which has shown up every, every once in a while, and it's, it's usually a very, uh, very serious situation that arises. I, I think that's <laughs> fascinating. I mean, I can just believe that, like, matrices would have an immune system to keep you from violating that structure and being in these unauthorized zones. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're meeting the threshold guardians. It's fascinating stuff. It's, yes, it's happened <laughs> it's happened a number a number of times and this this other one um, was where they were they were engineering an ecopocalypse of sorts <clears throat> so they were um, 
creating certain explosions that caused floods. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was writing with the water, and I I was able to look at the water so acutely that I realized that it wasn't uh, natural water, but it was more of like a digital substrate mm. that was made of a lot of smaller pieces. And so I, I followed this water and went underground into what I would describe as something like their underground base. Mm-hmm. And <coughs> I saw where their kind of control center was. Mm. And I looked at this, this structure on the ground which kind of looked like a Geiger-esque biomechanical form that um, self-organized and mm. built itself up almost like a staircase up to their control center. Okay, almost and like one of the turns <laughs> to self-transforming machine elves or something that like was a self-constructing yeah. form. But yeah, okay. yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And um, so it created this lattice that allowed me to go up to their control center. Mm-hmm. And... Once I got up there, I, I soon figured out that I was invisible to them, mm. and that I had somehow snuck into their space, and they were talking about their some of their frustrations about that you know someone someone's in you know someone's figuring out what's going on and they're not comfy with it and their eco apocalypse isn't going as planned, right? And so I was able to walk into their control center room and read something on uh, that was written either on a computer panel or on a piece of paper and it was extremely crisp extremely what? extremely crisp it was very legible Mm. and uh, without going back to my journal I can't quote it verbatim but it said something to the tune of a a shaman can be an artist in order to help save the world, or a uh, artist can be a shaman in order to help save the world. And it seemed like an interchangeable notion mm. of, you know, artist as shaman to help the world. And then, bam, woke up feeling extremely well rested, and that was, you know, one of those sort of lucid letting go narrative message dream. Right, well, uh, one implication, by the way, of um, both of those occurrences of of the time police is because a question that that I had in my mind listening to you talk about them that I was going to ask you is to what extent did they seem sort of like your dream characters versus autonomous entities um, that you're experiencing in the dream state, like sometimes happens with with mind parasites and, and things like that, where it seems like there's an actual invading autonomous organism and not simply an autonomous function of my own psyche I, gotcha. um, and, and I think that the both of those dreams gave powerful hints at the end in both cases that um, it was the latter rather than the former that it was a representation of internal functions because there was this benevolent thing at the end that, that showed that the, their, that their role was a disguise because they seem like this invading outside huh. force that's there to like shut you down right. but in each case you're given a gift and what they do turns out they turn out to be psychopaths guiding your soul to a higher level rather than even threshold guardians that are like trying to keep you away from crossing because they actually pull you into some 
incredible realization. I mean, one is the ultimate thing with the, the sketchbooks and the white space. But in the second one, too, um, you, you're given this incredible message at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like there's a toxic crust to the fortune cookie, but inside <laughs> is the real gnosis. Because huh. these are very Gnostic dreams where they're like the archons that are the masters of deception, and now you're being taken behind the curtains to hear their private thoughts. Mm-hmm. But yet, it, it doesn't turn out that there are real archons. It turns out that it's an internal drama. Mm-hmm. And the, the archon is revealed to be a psychopomp or something. So it's, it's like your own dream unfolding rather than like. It's very interesting. Because if, if they were genuinely autonomous entities who were who they said they were, you wouldn't get the last stage with it. You just keep getting toxic bardos until your spirit was crushed or something, right? Because that's what they would have intended, right? Huh. Um, and with the second one, you know, you, you wouldn't have been able to violate their security, probably. Um, they would know that there was an intruder in their immediate space. And you also wouldn't get this incredible gem of a you know mm-hmm. statement at the end right hmm. it's that's pretty interesting it's uh this is the sort of thing that makes me want to go back into my journals and review these specifically you know kind of with new eyes after some times past right right you know? as uh that's something that i would like to do more of um i'm i'm great at recording but um Unless there's a certain trigger event in my waking life or some other dream that com- compels me to go back and review, I, I, uh, I think it'd be useful to. Go yeah, back I mean, and what, this what, sort of what I would be fascinated with would be your analysis of all your time cop dreams hmm. to see what they have in common. Like I just pointed out that the, like the two you said like right. had a structural parallel that they both had a denouement that like completely reversed. Mm-hmm. You know, so what looked like a all black world now, like the black just becomes like the black yin dot and the white yang and the yin yang. Okay, like it's, it's just interesting. It, it's just there to like get the white going almost um, because of, of where things end up. Yeah. So, so the polarity totally shifts and the meaning changes. But I also wanted to add that I don't assume that there aren't real time cops or things okay. like that. I believe that there are. Um, but the ones you experienced in your dream weren't the real ones or the autonomous ones. They were, they were like ones created by your psyche to, to act as threshold guardians to, you know, guarding the pearl of great price and all that kind of stuff and play out this archetypal thing inside of you. Um, but I think in addition to that, there are also real ones out there, real, I mean, I don't know why I use the word real to <laughs> so stupid, but, but that there are um, autonomous external ones uh, and who, who can act like the white blood cells. Like, I think particularly with what I call mind parasites, there are ones who, if you're awakening to it, and like the classic modern mythological version would be Agent Smith in the Matrix, hmm. where right. if you are becoming aware in the Matrix, you've violated something, and the parasites, yeah. and um, in the movie, they're like AI computers who want to live off our caloric energy or something, mm-hmm. use us as batteries. Um, then they, they will um, come after you, and I've had experiences like this to shut you down right. because you've engaged with forbidden seeing. Right, but I mean, are you know, are the quote-unquote real uh, time police or mind parasites uh, 
invincible no. or impenetrable? Because uh, no, not at all. Okay, because <laughs> um, it makes me wonder. You know, it's like, it, what what is our barometer for figuring out whether, you know, my experience, um, you know, whether I was, you know, somehow deceiving or conquering or passing through the the real ones versus the uh, you know kind of sub-personalities of myself that was, you know, putting on this elaborate show in order for me to have this realization. I mean, it's, it's pretty kind of Yeah, I mean, I mean, both both are improvements in the right direction. Um, in fact, if I had to choose between them, maybe what you experienced is better. Like, why not have a symbolic experience with Nazi prison guards to learn how to deal with, like, ultimate evil? rather than being in an actual concentration camp. You know, I'll go for the, the Matrix version that I'm in control of over the uh, more mm -hmm. extroverted one mm -hmm. any day. Um, so, and, and both are, are moving you toward freedom, mm -hmm. right? Because if, if it's like there was a saying, like, personal victories lead to public victories. So, like, if you work on disciplining yourself, then it leads to some accomplishment. But we could kind of like extrapolate that into what you experienced is that by moving past the time police in your own matrix, it would also strengthen you to be able to do it in the outer world. And it also it could mm. be seen as a um, magical medicine to their disease, mm. that, that it opens that portals to that possibility because you've like carved that timeline right. into the morphogenetic field or whatever mm -hmm. and therefore it'll be more possible for other people going through either an inner matrix version of it or an outer right yeah leading by example showing the possibility yeah it, well like for example on an ordinary psychological level there are like the parental introjects where in addition to having a actual mother who may tell you that like go into a barrage of criticism and say that you you're you know can't do this or mm -hmm. you shouldn't do that or so forth right. you can also have an internal critic like that that oh, is your introjection of your actual parent and mm -hmm. that could persist even if they're not around and, and so forth. Absolutely. So if you're able to deal with the internal one, you'll be in a more empowered mm -hmm. place to deal with the interpersonal one. You've dealt mm -hmm. with the intrapsychic nature. Or vice versa. Yeah. If you stand up to yourself with your actual interpersonal <laughs> critic or something, yeah. then you'll be able to stand up better to the introject version yeah. of them too. So these are parallel process yeah. I guess this um, this reminds me of a number of lucid dream cases where someone has experienced some sort of trauma maybe, um, and has a recurring traumatic dream or nightmare mm -hmm. that is related to that trauma and right. then um, goes lucid in that space and changes the situation and never has that dream again. And there's some sort of healing that's facilitated that also empowers them to make waking life decisions that they may have been afraid to given this, you know, kind of psychic lock that they've been going on. Um, I heard about one today, actually. Uh, this woman had dreams for years about she was being chased by a tiger and she was always being chased by the tiger it was going to eat her but then one day she decided to turn around in that dream and she saw that the tiger was now a small kitten that ran away 
and the dream disappeared. Yeah. Right. You know, another case is where someone was molested at a young age and they had traumatic nightmares of their the attacker killing them mm-hmm. over and over again for years and then they went lucid and they turned the tables and they actually slayed their their attacker and then that dream disappeared and that gave them some peace in their waking life afterwards right well i think a strong case could be made for this being a mainline continuation or, or um, pushing the envelope state of core evolutionary through line with everything, even starting with one-celled life. Because I and, and I talk about this in such podcast or a document on my site called "Pushing the Envelope: Boundary Expansion into Novelty in Personal and Evolutionary Context" or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, one way to think about it is that this is all about the growth of interiority. And the very beginning of life, they say, was when lipids were formed because you needed like a complex organic molecule that could enclose something. Because mm-hmm. if you don't enclose something and have interiority, then like the contents of metabolism diffuse out into the environment. So the whole evolution of life, like then the next big phase, an- another big phase was cephalization when there starts to be like a head or an asymmetric deposition of nerve tissue. And now there's an inner simulacrum is starting to be formed. Sensory, from sense organs, information is coming in, and now in some neural net or some brain, the outside matrix is being reconstructed. You know, like even in a bee, you know, it's it's seeing, it sees a world through its compound eyes and so forth, and that's like happening inside, right? And, and it's always time buffered because by the time the brain or whatever has done all that, a fraction of a second has gone by. Mm-hmm. So we we all like organisms that have sense organs and stuff are like living in a simulacrum matrix that's a a neurological reconstruction of a past event. Mm -hmm. Um, Sounds, tactile sensations, visual, Mm -hmm. um, that has to get passed through things and then get reprocessed a fraction of a second later. So this is all a, a, a growth of interiority. It's like now there are these interior simulacrums. But now we are at the phase where we can have like a voiceover going on. We can make other stuff happen in that space. We don't, we're, we're, we don't have to just be seeing, you know, what's rushing at me because I'm a hardwired scorpion and that's like all I can process. I can have this whole, I can have a fantasy going on. So now there's like those two things at once. Mm-hmm. I'm fantasizing about... A romantic relationship but I'm also like waiting online at the coffee shop mm-hmm. or whatever so how does how does this tie into the okay recurring so night? here's how um, now we have a, a still further progression of interiority where the within that inner space a whole matrix the whole matrix is being made archetypal and recapitulated within and where the psyche within can reform it and instead of becoming um, it was a growth in in life and self-awareness that uh, a being could replicate what was going on outside but just passively you know the scorpion isn't trying to reimagine what's out there it's just trying to like see threats or see prey or, or things like that mm-hmm. but um, when you've reached the point where you um, can internalize the movie and then alter it that's like a whole nother octave of development. Mm-hmm. In, in that whole same through line of interiority, 
the growth of interiority. Because mm. now there's a movie maker within that interior space, mm. and, 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 and so forth. Um, and that's why why things like and so all of these things have some element of that. That's why fantasy writing is a real pushing the envelope experience because you're sub-creating. Mm. When you're a lucid dreamer, you're, you're awakening to, uh, sub-creator is a term J.R. Tolkien came up with to describe fantasy writing on a certain level. Which which term again? Sub-creation. Okay. And, and I think he was influenced by the Orthodox Catholicism right. because he didn't want to say he was like the creator, but like we were like sub-creators. <laughs> Even he recognized it was like a god-like state. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what we are waking up into is is a more profoundly interior state. And I don't know if you've heard my rap on this before, but apparently up to like the time of Homer, um, people weren't having private emotions. Mm -hmm. They were. Um, that's why why in the Odyssey, Homer marvels that Odysseus is able to like be one way while he's feeling a totally different way inside. Like, we just take that for granted, that people are duplicitous and they're two-faced and that kind of thing. But that was seen as a superhero-like thing. Mm. Just like a dog doesn't have private emotions, it will perform whatever it's feeling with its body. It doesn't, like, wag its tail and pretend to be happy when it's really, like, angry, but it's, like, putting on the front. Um, so it's a growth of interiority that, like, we... That, that it's common to, like, have a, create a, a fake persona that, that's different than what you're actually feeling. And, and lots of people can do that. Maybe not children, but lots of people mm. do it. And in uh, like St. Augustine had a friend who people marveled at because he w he read silently. People only read aloud, and they're like, it's like he's reading out loud in his head. Mm. So um, there's been this huge growth of interiority, and one of the huge evolutionary milestones of it was the novel, and like even the word novelty. The fact mm -hmm. that like an animal can have this incredibly complex, self-generated inner experience and where other characters, because we can support more than one personality, come alive and seem to become autonomous and all these events happen. And then we create this like telepathic artifact where somebody else can like download this whole complex interior experience we created and, and preserved in words. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a fantastic thing. You don't see hunter-gatherers aren't writing novels right. or fantasy series. This is an amazing, you know, development. Well, I mean, would you say that uh, novels are one form of dream delivery tech? Uh, certainly they can be, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, you know, through a... Even if they're mundane, you know, right? I mean, dreams can be mundane. True, true. And um, you briefly mentioned earlier, uh, you know, being a movie maker of an interior space. And I, I know, uh, you know, earlier today during your talk, you talked about, um, you know, movies also as dream delivery technologies. And then at the very end, I mentioned how uh, video games are right. also like. Wish I'd recorded that. <laughs> I'm trying my best to recapitulate. Um, you know, I I have an experience of in earlier part of my life playing a lot of video games, mm -hmm. and it's not something that I really engage with now. Although with my performances, that's it's projection performance. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm using a controller, and you know, a lot of my um, hand-eye coordination from playing video games taps in directly into, you know, control, controlling live animation improvisationally. 
So wow. it's like I'm creating the video game. Right, that's sense. amazing, right. Um, but that's, that's what, what, there's that classic progression, progression again, from being yeah. a passive consumer of video games to probably playing more complex interactive ones to then spontaneously generating your own. I mean, you see how all these things you're doing in your life like parallel perfectly. Hmm. Interesting. It's, you're, there you are in the white space now with your sketchbooks. Oh, that's true. <laughs> So, so it's uh, so that's great when you have thematic unity in your life and you're doing you know you're doing artistically what's happening on the dream level oh, and yeah. all, all the different levels. Yeah, interesting. That makes sense, huh? You know, I hadn't thought about the performance itself as it, as its own sure. dream delivery technology too. And you know, um, and it's kind of like mutual it, dreaming because you could pick up on the mood of the crowd too and be influenced by that. Well, it's well. Here's the thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, my performance group, Art Theism, features my dance partner, Samantha Beasley. She's on stage, right. and she's well-trained in modern, academic, classical forms of dance, mm -hmm. um, while I am controlling the visualizations and in, in real time through a touchscreen, and we're able to have this light-based communication and react to one another and literally Logos dance. communication. There right. you go. There you go. And it's, I mean, it's literally projected upon her body and wow. her surroundings. And Ooh. so she can see it on herself and she can react to that. She can turn and she can see her shadow and react to that and vice versa. Vice versa. Ooh. You know, we start to lose the it's sensation dreaming of who is. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mutual technological dreaming. And there's times where we lose track of who is guiding who. Right. And it becomes this, this unit that moves together. And then a step further, you mentioned the audience picking up their energy. She's extremely adept at visibly looking at an audience, looking them in the eyes, right. seeing where they're at, and energetically transmuting what's going on there. And so that affects her movement because our performances are not choreographed. Sometimes right. we have moments of structure that we've agreed upon beforehand but there is a lot of room for freedom and improvisation. Like a jazz improvisation. Yeah, structured improvisation. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that content can come from what she's picking up from the audience. Right. And so, you know, she's not just being super modern, serious dance space or very happy. You know, sometimes she will go to some very difficult spaces emotionally. Sometimes she will cry on stage and take, you know, people on a journey and you know my lights are a way of kind of pinpointing and highlighting those moments you know sometimes the lights are extremely small and just on her face or a tiny dot or sometimes they're extremely large and fast moving you know she goes between being very fast and sometimes extremely quiet and you know sitting in a meditative position and so there's a very wide spectrum of expression it's possible and so um what what comes to mind is you know using this as a as a way an, an inviting way for people to you know, explore themselves and kind of go on this almost like techno shamanic prayer formance of sorts because it's uh, it's approached very much with uh, intention and you know we we have we have some pieces that are very happy and then we have works that we're going to dive in deep and you know take 
someone on a journey. And what's interesting is there's been a few cases where um, people report afterwards, you know, what, what's going on. Um, sometimes there's a lot of deep emotions that come up and many people will report tears. And we've had two occasions of people reporting out-of-body experiences during their performances, and they were totally sober. Well, I mean, I think you're creating a, a lucid dream. And what's fascinating is that it even works well with that idea I talked about yesterday of the distributed processing power theory I have of dreams, that, yes. that, that the dreamer doesn't have to create the dream, that there's an implicit intelligence or something in the universe that, that co-creates it. Mm-hmm. And this is what's actually happening. So in the two, the, in the way you described it at least, um, I don't know if this is always the case, but in, in your description of it, she was leading the process. And if you think of her as like the soul, because she's female mm-hmm. and, and more body centered, and she's like expressing this emotion or having tears, and then you're projecting images onto her, mm-hmm. which makes me think of like what Terrence said about cephalopods, that they wear their language on their skin. Oh, yes. You know, yes. This is here, yeah. here's like mm-hmm. the visual communication or like Ray Bradbury's Illustrated Man or something where um, you're putting the story. You're, you're turning it into a story, and, and, um, or a visually revealed thing, and, and now she's wearing it. So it's like now you're the processing power that creates the dream. Hmm. The soul enters the dream space with a certain emotion, and now you, as the dream technology, create the surrounding story that would go with that emotion to help illustrate hmm. it. Hmm. So you're like the processing power. Hmm. Um, and in the instances you described, you were, um, she was always taking the lead. Is that always the case, or not? Or, or no, not? not necessarily. Okay. No, no. Because sometimes it's, the it's images very... take the lead, and then she changes her absolutely choreography absolutely. to go with that. And then there's also times where my light disappears, mm-hmm. and if we're working in a um, situation where there is very little or no ambient light, we create. A sort of sensory deprivation and so oh, wow. so my light disappears she disappears mm. and then I'm able to help her reappear in a different spot on the stage so she can teleport from one oh, space wow. to another That's based on what I choose to do and so in that way I'm directing attention of you know mm. where is this light being projected um, to, to jump back for a moment two, two things come to mind one um, in that uh, multiple uh, subsequent life uh, time copturing from earlier, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she was the female protagonist in that mm. dream, that we both wow. stopped time together. So, and well, she, I mean, it's perfect because you're both like lucid dream artists that are creating these waking dreams. So mm. she'd be the perfect person to play a parallel role to yours. Right as someone awakening to the white space in the um, mm-hmm. matrix creation space. Yep, that makes sense. And then secondly, uh, in regards to using video game controllers, mm. you know, again, a big part of my youth growing up. Right. And as I started doing more dream work, I noticed that you know, there's a, a dream style or dream pattern I have sometimes where the, the dream is being controlled through my use of a video game controller. Oh, wow. And that has been extremely useful sometimes in 
either lucid awareness to to have that lucid achievement or to use a game controller while lucidly aware. And it's, it's a very interesting interface to uh, control the parameters of dream with, you know, with this game interface, whether it's buttons, knobs, or, or scrollers. Or yeah, I mean, this is why I've told people not to have such negative judgments about video games, because even though, though the sword cuts both ways and there are sure. all kinds of people losing their youth to this arousal addiction, yeah. they're also going to be mutants like yourself who... Um, this is like their first um, experience of the superimposed matrix thing because they're, they're in their mom's basement or they're in their room and that's one reality but at the same time the, the first person shooter or whatever right. is going on and so you you are benefiting from being aware of like the multiple parallel matrix thing and that you can be in control of it or shift certain things or that you're not just a passive consumer of it but an active participant yeah. in it it's like uh, an interactive video plastic environment right training tool right mm -hmm. and for the empowered the empowered person can then bring that same technology and that sort of becomes a, a almost a literal thing in your dreams where you become aware of the controller because that's how you navigate it you're used to like you know a, a, a joystick or whatever to move around and stuff and so that's a great volitional interface or something um, because you, you've already had your ability to be a sub-creator um, enhanced by video games mm -hmm. much more compared to like you know when I was growing up and there were like three big networks and like you know you had like five even in New York City you had like five channels on the TV mm -hmm. and it was completely passive right. it didn't affect it whatsoever in one way mm. um. I've never been able to myself deal with uh, playing um, video games in any way, and of course I'm from an older generation, so I wasn't born into it either. What right. year were you born? 83, 1983. Okay, so you're really, um, you're actually sort of like on the opening cusp of the millennial generation, I guess, really. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like right between like the trailing edge of Gen X and of the millennials. Yeah. Um, and, and growing up into a, a you know totally computerized world. Yeah, but I re I remember video games already there. The, the video games were already there. They were very basic. The, I was playing eight bit games right. early on, and you know saw the transition from two dimensional to three dimensional graphics right. technologies. Um, the transition of you know the the kind of music and sounds possible to actual voice recording. Um, and seeing the, the difference there, um, and also noticing, the, you know, I mean, the internet has been a, a big part of my life, but I remember when there was no public internet, too, okay. you know, and so uh, it's, it's been interesting to see a lot of these things really kind of birth as I've grown up. Well, it's, it's another parallel stream that, that's very much like... Um, becoming a more empowered lucid dreamer hmm. so if you think about you uh, as the gamer as like a, a dreamer and then the games are, are the dreams the, the matrices are improving and also like the game controllers powers are improving mm -hmm. because you start out with like space invaders and you can go in like x y coordinates or mm -hmm. something that's totally primitive 
or Pong or whatever for the ultimate like shrunken universe or shrunken right. universe to, to now where you can you know World of Warcraft you know design your own avatar and like you're much more empowered hmm. and the matrix has improved it's become more HD it's become more fully realized and more idioplastic well what's this this begs the question because I mean I'm not so much of a gamer anymore mm -hmm. um, as far as console or, or game work outside of the, the performance aspect, but um, you know, with modern gaming, there are other types of even more interactive controllers, mm -hmm. such mm -hmm. as the the Wii Wiimote. Okay. Um, uh, for the Nintendo Wii, and right. that's something that is able to you know detect where you are pointing. It has an accelerometer inside of it and so right, forth. Right. And so you're using. Know, your body in a different way. You're not and just it, pressing it seems buttons. Like it seems like it's more right hemisphere because it's not just like zero, one, press or don't press, but like you can like be more, you're moving in this complex way naturally. You're not thinking about I'm going left or right or there's going more. forward or back, you know. Mm -hmm. Kinesthetic awareness is right. now a deeper part of the mm. game controller experience. Wow. And, then, and then keep in mind now the, uh, you know, infrared cameras such as the Kinect, uh, Mm -hmm. Peripheral for the Xbox, okay. you know, which you know scans an area in front of it, and um, so you can use your entire body to you know wow. be in front of this camera, um, and it's not true 3D. Right. <laughs> but, but it's getting there. It's getting there. It, it doesn't see what's on the back side. Right. You know? Right. Although some people are putting two cameras. And creating a more full image, you know, but that that way you're you're using motion, right? So, by the way, instead of fighting the distraction, yeah, just to point out that like our background has also been like a dream in the sense that it's been by distributed processing power, it's going on outside of us, seemingly outside of our control. Okay, people here are probably not noticing us that much, mm -hmm. but maybe the fact that there's still two people in the cafe is making them a little bit more animated or more willing to keep the place going, but the dream went through a huge phase change, because when we first started talking, everything was coming down, lights were being turned off, it looked like it was about to shut off, you're expecting that moment, like, it's time, gentlemen, like in the British bars, and they have to close at 2 a.m., I just saw that coming, and then it's sort of like now, like the public part of it had shut down, and now suddenly, like all these characters are coming out and having their own experience of the coffee shop workers, their own like dream, and it's becoming more animated mm -hmm. and more alive. Um, after it went through this like death of its public thing and yeah, so forth, it's re been reborn in a certain way. Right. So, it, so it, that's kind of like a dream that's surrounding us, a superimposed reality, because it's kind of seems to be pursuing its own autonomous timeline. Like mm. we're, we're going to assume that like something very similar would have happened if we were not here. Mm. Um, though our presence may have some effect, you know. Mm. On Interesting. Well. Good observation. Um, back to the game controllers, it, it makes me wonder, again, I don't play the, the modern gaming equipment, but I wonder um, how some of those types of more movement and kinesthetic awareness-based control systems for gaming may affect someone's relationship to dreaming, for example. You know, like, right. I, I, have, I have the handheld controller um, right. part of my personal history, but what about 
someone who's younger than I who has the kinesthetic awareness controller and how may that become part of their own dream history? Yeah, and it's more advanced because obviously because if you don't need a, a plastic gadget to navigate but navigate with your body just like we see and we have the, I guess it's already off-the-shelf technology, you know, when we, we are expanding things in our touch screen by pulling our fingers apart, where, where we're starting to relate to computers more kinesthetically and in, and in like sci-fi movies and stuff, you'll see somebody is like in front of a holographic screen and they're using gestures to change things and moving things away, but and it, we pretty much already have that, you know, it's just not well distributed mm. or something mm. so that's a more advanced level and then of course telepathic manipulation would be still further along mm-hmm. in that process mm. so um, each of these does seem like a real evolutionary step and, and what's happening is that the um, alternate matrix is becoming more and more encompassing like like with the using your whole body to move in any direction it's more bi-hemispheric there's going to be more right hemisphere mm-hmm. and there are going to be different breakthroughs that are going to really allow people to enter these alternate matrices more powerfully and here's one of the ones that I think must be close by even though I'm not a technologist okay it's when it's just like on the movie set of for the movie Avatar James Cameron could look through like a million dollar camera and see the actors who are there in their like black leotards with blue squares or whatever for their motion capture. Right. And when he looked through the camera, he would see <laughs> them as their like Navi avatars in real time ah. as they're moving. Um, now, when it's your laptop like can do that, augmented reality, right there. Right. So now, when you have enough distributing processing power that j- that I can enter World of Warcraft and. I have this avatar, but its movements aren't stereotyped by the software. But now the lens, the camera, that infrared zone or whatever your camera, for example, <laughs> is capturing my movements and mapping them onto the avatar in real time. And if that's good enough, because like when they create these like CGI movies where it's motion capture from real actors, I realized this after seeing the movie, the CGI movie Beowulf, where there's like Anthony Hopkins plays a character, but you're seeing the digital avatar version. Right, right. But they've captured like in on the set of um, Avatar, they have this little boom light under their face to brighten their facial highlights, and it also has a little camera to capture their changes of their facial expressions that they can map onto the avatar. So now, if you can play World of Warcraft and have your facial expressions mapped onto the avatar, we can do it already, but it's just, it's not off-the-shelf consumer mm-hmm. level. Now, you enter that computer game matrix where you're playing with people from Korea or whatever, the multiplayer situation. But now, it's like a real social interaction. It's like meeting somebody at a festival because you see things that they don't even mean to reveal because of, that's how mm. facial communication right. works. So it starts to have the richness and depth right. and ambiguity of a real social encounter. Right. So when that gets going, that's going to be a whole... The, the, that difference between matrices is really going to blur. Mm. I've, um, I've heard a few people talking about this particular notion in relation to uh, uh, where VR, virtual reality, uh-huh. is... Uh, is, is going and now much more technically feasible with um, devices like the Oculus Rift. I don't mm. know if you've. I've been hearing about it. Um, tried one before. I, um, I thought they weren't out yet. Um. Well, I, to be honest, I don't. I don't know. 
Um, but what I what I can but, say is no, that I, I sense it's going to be big. I sense it's going to because I've been waiting for that consumer that you know when you can get the Samsung four hundred dollar gadget that really puts you in VR. That is yeah. a game changer evolutionarily in every way. Well, the, thanks to the pot, some of the podcasts I've been listening to, I think it is available given the, what, what some of the folks on there, enthusiasts who have who have tried it and who have them. Okay, it makes me think that they are available. But with that being said. Um, a couple years ago, I was helping to art direct in the earlier stages of a video game, mm-hmm. um, a game called Sound Self, one word, Sound Self, um, hmm. and directed by Robin Arnott. He's a sound engineer. Okay. And um, it was actually inspired by a Burning Man installation that hmm. he uh, experienced a few years ago. A Burning Man situation? Burning Man installation. Installation, you know, okay. And so, basically, this game it works really well with the Oculus Rift as an immersive experience. Uh, but the idea is basically you uh, sing, speak, or, or chant like that into a microphone. Mm-hmm. And when you do this, it uh, takes in... Your, your sound and then reproduces it um, re- reproduces an instrumental version of whatever mm. pitch so it has pitch detection mm. so now in the speakers or the headphones you hear whatever pitch you were singing coming okay. back at you mm-hmm. while simultaneously there are these um, there's generative geometry that it kind of looks like mandalas but a little bit different with radial symmetry um, that is tied to these oscillators of what your whatever your voice is doing, and so the graphics are also reacting to your voice. So it's almost like the role that you play in your art pieces, where you start projecting onto her based on her emotions and things mm. like that. But but in the case where the person takes the lead, you know, like in the cases you described, where she took the lead and then you project appropriate images right. onto her, it's like this device is doing something like that in what you're saying in a way it's like a it's a feedback loop right and um, I think people get the the most out of it when they choose to you know chant a single note or ohm for a long period of time because that actually unlocks certain algorithms that deepen the visual and audio story Mm -hmm. that takes place so it's kind of a structured improvisation and you can only go so deep if you continue chanting the same note that's part of like what the okay. game that's what you unlock in the game and you can't really beat the game but that's what uh, you can go deeper into the experience by chanting the same note okay. and so um, and when wearing an Oculus Rift this becomes an entirely immersive environment where it's pitch black but then there's this this light that is created by your your voice wow. and then the sound as well mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, it is a it's kind of like going through a tunnel, like a tunnel of light. Some of the graphics wow. are, are actually absolutely like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I want it. Uh, <laughs> but when, I, when I've looked it up online, I think it says it's like being released in like 2015, but maybe there are like beta versions out that people there, are getting to experiment with or something? Or? With the Oculus? Oculus, or? yeah. I, th- I thought it was like not yet released publicly. Mm. I, I really don't know. We've the, This particular game is still under production. There are beta versions of this game that you can okay. download and play online at SoundSelf. Okay. 
uh, I believe soundselfthegame.com. Right. Um, but it, you don't need an Oculus to play it. You can okay. play it on your computer still. Okay. Um, and it's um, it's for yeah home computers. And the other thing is that we've also done it in installation situations, like in a small geodesic dome mm-hmm. with a hanging microphone in the middle. People can all kind of lay in the center, chant together, wow. so and then project the visuals up on the ceiling. Okay. All right. Well, think about about this, like especially once you get something like Oculus Rift going, because then you can put any content in there. Mm-hmm. And here is a depth psychology feedback system um, that, that acts like a mirror, like you're talking about, and would be incredibly dreamlike, and yet involves uh, hardware that's like from the 1980s, basically. It, I mean, but, but also using everything you have, like Oculus Rift, as your baseline to build up on. But you create a program where... Um, like, sometimes marketing research places will pull you into something in a mall, like they've got a storefront set up and they'll ask you to, you know, I've done this like once where they pull you into a trailer and like they had me like watch an ad for Kodak film or something. Right. Uh, that's how old it was. And um, the whole point of the ad, they had laser tracking on your eyes. They want to see what you're looking at. And the whole thing is they want to have a distracting enough scene so that you're not reading the letters at the bottom of the screen that says this is a simulation, hmm. simulated image or something. Because like they have a you know bouncing beach ball going past you or whatever, and you're following that or however they are misdirecting you. And um, and I had a film camera that had had that infrared that knew where my cornea was pointed to see what I was focusing on and could focus automatically on that. Canon or something, I mean, that's, you know, 1990s technology. So now if you you have that off-the-shelf hardware that sees what you're focusing on on the screen, and now you have sufficiently um, intelligent software. So, for example, let's say it's a World of Warcraft-like setup, but now the adolescent kid who's playing it, the program notices that, like, whenever we bring in a female dominatrix-like or a female warrior character with, like, big breasts or something, he really stares. His huh. attention goes right to it. <laughs> so that's his thing. Now we know his type. So now we're going to shift the story so that his key ally is a, like, dominatrix-like Amazonian woman. Hmm. So it's starting to become like a, I mean, that's a cheesy example, but it's starting hmm. to become like the distributing processing power of a dream, where it would be completely possible to observe what archetypes obsess you. Okay, is it of an androgynous figure? Is it of, um, you know, you know what, what is it? We, we can start to figure out what archetypes dominate you and now change the storyline mm-hmm. to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously if we had like AI, you know, that, that could be done uh, infinitely in an infinitely more sophisticated way as is done in the um, Ender books. Mm. There, there's, and, and they have a battle school, and they have a psychologically evaluating computer game. But it, the, but the art AI like learns about that individual student, and like Ender's like afraid of his brother. It'll it'll like bring his brother into it to see how he reacts. Oh, it'll, it'll, like really will fuck with his psyche. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd like to I like to read those. Hearing I hear I hear good things. They, they are very good. Um, you know, I, I think we may have mentioned it yesterday, but I think it's worth bringing up, and that is um, the combination of dream work in association with sensory deprivation, isolation, flotation tanks. Right. 
um, because that's something that I've just started working with myself, and I see a lot of uh, potent you know, possibilities there. Right. Of you know, have using that as a uh, a space to induce a certain type of lucidity. Right. Perhaps. How about as, as a space um, to put on your waterproofed Oculus Rift <laughs> and, and go into virtual reality when you're in the state of like most disassociation from gravity while whoa. still in your body? Whoa, whoa. Huh. And, huh. and I mean, it, it, it would just have to be like the visual part because auditory would be best to come through the underwater speakers like in the flotation tank thing I went to in the 80s. Mm. I mean, they, they had that. Right. Um, because water is such a good conductor and you get great three-dimensional sound and then you just have the glasses on to show you the images. Um, It'd be a pretty intense way to play your game. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this brings to mind something else because that is a quite a change in sensation and perception. You know, not only do you have this sensory deprivation, you have this flotation feeling, but then you have this other world you know, through your visual system, right. and what is the transition out of that like for the individual? And I mention right. that because in my first two float sessions, <clears throat> you know, I have the, the choice to turn off the light inside the pod. Right. Um, and during the last five minutes, the light turns back on. Mm -hmm. You know, because some people fall asleep, and the music and the light kind of comes back on to gent gently awake you. Right. And so... Every time, the, you know, I've only done this twice so far, but each time the light comes back on, you know, I've, I have not fallen asleep. I keep my eyes open so far. Okay. And, and whenever the light goes on, so it, very abruptly, it's a very, very subtle light. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very light compared to any of these lights around here, but nonetheless, it's very different from total darkness. Right. And so the light goes on and I just start laughing hysterically. Because I I do not realize how sort of far out I've been, right? You know, and, and so dissociated um, and deprived of sight. And as soon as it comes back, um, my reaction is is I think it's absolutely hilarious because I forgot that I've had a body, right? And here I am it's now. Such, it's such a lucid dreaming experience, you know. Again. Yeah. And, and just like you described, you know, that, that like falling asleep wakefulness, if you could be there to, to be through that whole liminal twilight zone, like you start out <laughs> and you're stepping into the pod and you're very aware of your body proprioceptively and all that kind of thing. But then through some layered process, you're starting to, when you have no gravity to deal with anymore, you're starting to uh, go out into a, a dream body of some sort. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> That's a very interesting process that you because you, you're, you're creating a, a waking dream on demand, basically. Waking dream on, on demand. demand, right? Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I'm also interested in combining different modalities with the, the tank experiences, such as you know, choosing to you know, do yoga beforehand or afterwards or exert myself physically beforehand and, and how does that affect my experience? You know, if I, sure. If I bicycle to the space versus driving or to the space. Or a THC dose. For, you know, assuming you do it sparingly. 
and right. so therefore it actually acts as a mild hallucinogen. I mean, I, I've tried the flotation tank with different substances and of course altered states and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing, but those are those are obvious variations of the True. experiment. True, I know um, I know Rogan's talked about it on mm -hmm. his on his cast. He has a tank at home and so Oh wow, okay. So he's able to experiment with that on a, on a regular basis. Um, and uh, I'm also interested in there's different different size tanks, um, right? And so uh, I've only had one so far. It's more of like a womb-like pod-shaped tank, but there's also rooms yeah, and larger no, spaces. I, right, exactly. Um, mm. Those sarcophagus-like things. I mean, it's almost like the um, sarcophagus-like <coughs> thing that Jake, the paraplegic marine in Avatar, gets into. <laughs> And then he's going to be shifted into his avatar oh, from wow. that coffin-like enclosure, huh. right, where his physical body is. And so um, the pods are almost look like a version of that. Um, but I prefer the rooms. Okay. Um, and the facility I went to that actually had health insurance pay for um, back in the like late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it, it was like a little small swimming pool. Right. Which, so it felt very spacious. It wasn't like I was in this confined space uh, with a lid above your head and that kind of thing. And also they had the um, stereo underwater speakers with the binaural beats and the hemi-sync kind of stuff right. playing. Interesting. Hmm. So that was pretty, uh, a pretty good combination. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, what, I mean, I could think of all kinds of variations if you had a, a big enough bu budget. Like, for example, what if instead of the Oculus Rift, mm -hmm. you're, you're floating in what's like shaped like a, a domed space, like a planetarium almost, and that dome, because now in planetariums they don't project an image on a screen anymore, I've noticed, they've just upgraded them all. Like, instead of a screen, every surface is a pixelated screen. Right. It's just much more logical. Now you have a computer do it, and, and basically it's a dome-shaped video monitor. You're right. In. So if you're floating in the tank and above you is this dome-shaped thing that can produce anything, and the default is just a star field, that, but that's so good it looks just like you're floating under the stars. Mm -hmm. But you could, you know, have done a little pre-structure to like, you know, that at some point it's going to bring you into Monument Valley or it's going to bring you into a desert or whatever. Um, or you could control that somehow with your own um, words or something and you know that would be pretty pretty yeah. powerful and it's, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like this omnidirectional vision which right. reminds and me a little bit about some of the NDE vision experiences being able to you know see sort of omnidirectionally in a sense. right and you could also change the orientation so you could start out where it's like you're looking up at the screen but wh why not make the center of the screen like your eye level view so instead of like the desert you know, being like something that you're looking at from above or something, or from like, you know, above the whole plane of it, what, what if it's an eye-level view at the center of the dome? Mm -hmm. So it's fill, filling your field of view um, because now your bodily orientation is different where it's not so clear that there's up or down. It's like being in the weightlessness of space somewhat. Mm -hmm. So changing the whole orientation mm. seems like it would be possible, right? right? Very interesting. So, I'd like to make an observation, um, probably due to uh, my own 
body's alertness and, uh, and sleep schedule uh, begin to have these sort of hypnagogic visions of the, mm. the, um, the sides of your, your, the insides of your black um, jacket right there. You know, briefly were looking like uh, you had pigtails. And so I'm realizing that my I'm, I'm getting tired and, and uh, starting to get a little light outside. So, um, is there any any particular uh, like questions that you wanted to cover while we're still <laughs> here for me? Right. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to keep you up and de- and destroy your sleep schedule. You've got some <laughs> great stuff down there. But it, but it, it's fascinating that like even if that's the end point. Um, it, it's an amazing endpoint because it's like we're pulling back the frame oh. to what's actually going on <laughs> in our interaction rather than the content of what we're talking about related to like dream experiences and hypothetical VR experiences. Now we're talking about the actual conversation and in the actual conversation you're having that layered experience mm-hmm. where now the REM is like bleeding through yeah. and the environment is surrealizing and so That's forth. Right. So it's the, if you want to end there, that's the perfect endpoint because it's, we just... It's funny. <laughs> liminal spaces are on their way. Right, I'm right. You're in a, in a liminal space. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess for, the, for the record, mm-hmm. I'd like to uh, just uh, kind of make a statement about a summary okay. of, of what uh, my experience is in that uh, I started dream journaling 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, during a time of great transition for me to make a lot of different life choices at the time and um, dream journaling was one of the things that uh, really would have been like 21 I was 21 exactly yep and you know it was the year I started dream journaling it was the year I you know went to a hospital uh, for an injury it was the year that I started teaching myself yoga and um, reading more about esotericism of all forms and it's also when I started finding my own drawing style instead of imitating others it's when I started becoming more involved in community organizing art mm-hmm. events and uh, it's the year that my name changed from Chris to Topher mm. and um, as I started journaling started recalling more and more exponentially and, and until I started re- reaching this upper limit of recalling about seven dreams a night and then um, lucid dreams started happening more frequently and other kind of strange dream phenomena such as the bilocation and um, sort of awake to sleep immediate lucidity situations Um, but for me personally it's been a powerful tool for not only understanding my subconscious but for really transformation and, and healing from various life events, um, overcoming addiction, uh, whether to uh, substance or to uh, compulsive waking behavior. Mm-hmm. It has acted as a biofeedback system for me to uh, better understand what serves me best and what doesn't. And uh, Dream Life has helped me uh, understand that significantly. It's also assisted with creative inspiration, with decision making um, with um, kind of uh, developing my own dream mythology mm-hmm. of what are my personal archetypes because as I've kept journaling over the years I've noticed 
<clears throat> well, this certain subject arises when such and such is happening in my waking life. And so I could, can see what kind of triggers there are. Um, um, to a certain degree, um, there, there's, there's been a, a little bit of prophetic dreams here and there. It's not something that happens very often, but it, it's definitely played a role. Clairvoyant dreams. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then the lucidity, um, the transition from going to taking control to letting go, and then more recently working with asking questions or making declarative statements in that space. Um, and in the past couple of years is when I started to facilit facilitate lucid dream empowerment workshops. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, I've, I've recently started adding in activities that engage the body and also to socialize with other people during the space where we have some group exercises that drive home some of the points that I'm making. And so I'll be sharing uh, some of that tomorrow at uh, 3.33 at the Jedi Lotus Temple here at the Arise Festival at Sunrise Ranch, Colorado. Yeah, I've got to make sure I can find that tomorrow. Uh, figure out where that exact is exactly. Yeah, I know you, you drew it on map. my map. I know you drew it on my map, but mm -hmm. uh, I'll figure it out. But it's white. I'll tell you that giant... Uh, it's, a, it's another thing with like white cut out looking pieces of ply plywood that like look like, like white as if they were cut out of paper or something or it's like this geometric shape. If it's right near the art gallery, it's not that, right? No. No, it's, um, it's on the other side of the main gate. Okay. So it's actually a theme camp installation. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And it's and then it'll be off to the right when you cross that like a boundary between like the parking lot area, the camping area, and the festival. It's um, well, I did I did mark it on the map. Um, so when you say the main gate, do you mean that that wooden barrier that that wooden barrier that crosses yeah. the two sides? So you cross security check. If you were coming from here, mm -hmm. and you go through that main gate, right, it would be. Couple camps to your left. Look to my left. Yeah. Okay. And again, it's the only one that it's a big white installation. It has multiple pods that are um, all, they all have sort of altars inside of them. Oh, wow. And they're okay. fabric spheres, basically, okay. with uh, vulva like entrances. Okay. I and better be able to find that. something is very wrong. And or that doesn't stand up. And then um, uh, up top, is a 70-foot dream catcher. Mm. Pretty good landmark. Yeah. Um, and one one last thing, this is okay. about, like offhand of observation. Um, when I visited the, the space and I looked up at this giant dream catcher, right. I isolated the sun through the clouds so I could see the sun without hurting my eyes because it was through a, a thick layer of clouds right. in the center of the dream catcher. And I noticed a visual yeah, phenomenon of concentric circles and rays of light that were aligned with the dream catcher. And I'm wondering, are these just rays from the sun? So I start, so then I shifted my perspective and um, moved the sun away from the center of the dream catcher. Right. And I realized that this visual phenomenon was still there, but it's not aligned with the sun. It was aligned with the dream catcher. And it looked like this very subtle Again, um, concentric circle mm. slash uh, radial um, starburst field 
food that was aligned with the, you know, the sort of the center mandala of the Dreamcatcher, and it was extremely, extremely peculiar. And wow. um, um, yeah. well, was it, was the Dreamcatcher a very fine grid or uh, uh, or, or not? Like it's, it's pretty fine. Flat. Pretty fine. It's not super okay. thick. It's okay. a pretty fine grid. Um, you know, the closest thing I've experienced is uh, looking at spider webs in an altered state. Okay. I could see a, sim a, a similar signature. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I found it very interesting. Again, I, I was a unit and I was totally sober. Too. So, very clear. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely hope for that kind of shift in perception when I look through it. But, um, but I, I just one closing thing is that yeah. uh, for me, first of all, the time of day is syncing up perfectly because now this is a liminal zone mm -hmm. because we're just getting the first light coming in, mm -hmm. like waking up in the uh, floating sarcophagus type of thing. The subtle light gently bring us into the into the daylight world, mm -hmm. and but I also want to say that that all these uh, we can really see or where there's real corroboration of what you're doing is such an evolutionary through line is well first of all for you obviously it is and like you go through these stages almost like your hero's journey of like you're stressed out when you're 21 you have like a medical shock and you start to it's like a call to adventure and then you you end up being able to bring the gift back to the collective and teach it hmm. at the at, you know in the, in the last phase the most recent phase of the journey but <clears throat> also um where you see it as like having a, a core evolutionary theme is that it produced massive collateral benefits. So like you described, all these different areas where you got healthier and where all kinds of different dark neurotic things dropped away and creativity was enhanced. So when you have like a massive collateral benefit, you know you're doing, that's totally a core shifting evolutionary th thing that mm -hmm. can have that kind of power, like the near-death experience can. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for observing that. And uh, it's, this is your encounter with the singularity archetype. Yeah. It, with, with all these different episodes and phases, I mean, it's all part of like discovering yourself as the magician and and aware of yourself as a uh, uh, able to co-create matrices. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Well, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to to share this with you, and uh, appreciate your time and and attention, and I. Appreciate your uh, uh, your helpful interpretation of some of the dreams that I shared with you. Excellent. As well. well, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was a, a mutant mind meld or something, and that's uh, Jonathan Zapp signing off. And uh, you want to do your sign off too? No, thank you. This is uh, Topher Sykes. And do you have a website? I certainly do. Actually, uh, I have two websites. My my main website is topersipes.com. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-S-I-P-E-S.com. Uh, that'll have my graphic design, illustration, fine artwork. Uh, store should be up soon, um, along with some of the visuals that I project over to musicians and an upcoming schedule of any lucid dream workshops I'm giving, any art galleries uh, sh or shows or any performance animation gigs that I've got and then the other site is artheism.net and that's a-r-t-h-e-i-s-m.net and that's my performance group 
I mentioned earlier with Samantha Beasley where we combine um, Logos beheld light communication projected over modern Bhutto-like prayer form and stance. So those are the two places that you can uh, follow what I'm up to these days. Okay, and my website is zaporacle, spelled the way it sounds, zaporacle.com. And this is the Arise Festival, August 10th, I guess it is now, 2014. Signing off.